Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Um, I'll, I'll catch you up. You know, basically what we're reminding ourselves of is, is one of our core identities as, we, as our hearts respond to Jesus. We become disciples. We become learners of Jesus. And that's more than just sitting in a classroom learning the right things to believe or, or Jesus just, you know, working our whole lives to modify our behavior. But it's this living, breathing, active, going with Jesus into, into all of the world, into the places that he sends us, every place that our feet tread. He has given us a partner with him to experience life in the kingdom and to extend life in the kingdom, right? Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit and, and giving those things as gifts away. And so, you know, as we're talking about this lifestyle, there's, there's, there, there's these, you know, several different axioms we've been calling it, foundational paradigms that we have to be reminded of. And we've been talking over the last several weeks of some of these axioms, some of which are God always, is always present and at work. God meets us in reality where we really are, so we don't have to pretend to be somewhere else. The goal of all of this, the goal of following Jesus, of discipleship, really is about divine union, that God wants to be one with us just as Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one with the Father. And last week we talked about how, how at the end of the day when we're confused about God, that we have to remember that God is completely Christ-like, and in him there is no unchristlikeness. When we look into the eyes of Jesus, we are looking into the eyes of the one who loves us and who knows us. And, and if we're ever confused about what God is like, we, really need, we need to look no further than the person of Jesus. Now, over the last several weeks, as we've been doing some of these axioms, you, they, they sound very simple on, on, the, on the front end, right? As you hear these things and you're like, yeah, God is like Jesus, duh, right? Tell me something I don't know. But part of the reason why we're going back through these simple ideas, how many of you guys know that maybe what we need more than another new mind-blowing idea is, that, is for God to take the simple ideas and, and take them deeper into our hearts? And God, in an age of information, in an age of opinion, in an age uh, where everybody has something new to say, God, would you not let us lose the wonder of the simplicity of the gospel? that you're always with us, that you, when we look into the eyes of Jesus, we see you, that you meet us right where we are. So we're going to continue this morning with another axiom, and here's how I'm going to set this up. Um, Several years ago, I was uh, in Brazil with a team. We did a Resound conference down in Brazil, and I was asked to go speak at a church there. And uh, it was super exciting. It's always awesome to go speak, especially when it's outside of the States, because when you're in the, like, the global south, it's just wild. And, uh, and so I was preparing for this talk um, at this little church, and, and I felt these promptings. I, I really wanted to bring a gift more than a good sermon. I really wanted to, to bring something. I wanted to bring this, the special sauce. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I, and I really felt in that moment uh, a couple uh, words come to me. We call them words of knowledge. And so I just had the sense that there was going to be some people there that needed some specific ministry. And so, so I go to this church and I speak, and it was an okay sermon, not great. So I'm feeling a little insecure during the process, hoping like, wow, God, I hope this lands because it's not landing with me right now. And so then I get to the ministry. I'm like, all right, let's, we're going we're gonna to get into this. And so at the end of the talk, uh, there was two things that I felt. I felt like there was somebody, I, I felt like somebody had lost either a brother-in-law or an uncle, somebody within the family, a male that, 
recently passed away and they were going through grieving and that God wanted them to know that he sees them and he knows them. And so I, I call out this word of knowledge. It's like, hey, who here has lost somebody near, you know, a brother-in-law or, a, or an uncle or somebody in your family? And, and uh, you know, expecting, you know, a hand to go up and, and just crickets, right? You know, and when you miss a word of knowledge, it makes it awkward for everyone, right? So you've seen everybody looking around, they're like, not me, you know? And I'm like, wow, okay, um, very well, right? And so then I'm, I'm like going to plan B, which is expand on the word, add some details that weren't there in the first place to, to save face, right? So do you know anybody, has anybody known anybody who's ever died ever, right? <laughs> oh, oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, hands up all over the room. I, I didn't really do that, but that's what I was feeling in the moment. It's like, okay, let's just take, you know, let's just take what we got. And uh, so we prayed, you know, some stuff came out, we prayed. And then the second one was I really felt like there was a man in the room who had been just paralyzed under the weight of shame from some decisions that he had made. So I called that out. I said, all right, here's, here's number two. There's somebody here, there's a man here, and you've been feeling the weight of shame in your life. And, uh, and you don't know what to do about it. And you have a hard time even talking about it. The Lord wants to meet you. So I'm looking out of the room. It's a little more broad. So I'm hoping, all right, this is going to be, you know, there's a little more give or take here. But I was hoping that somebody identify it. And, and again, it was crickets. And so I give two words of knowledge. And at this point in time, there's no immediate evidence that anything, that I even heard from God in the first place. So when you're in those positions, you have a few options. And, uh, and, you know, and so you can imagine the internal dialogue is really getting interesting at this point in time. The thoughts that I'm having and the little anxiety is coming up because I'm thinking, this is terrible. I am a false prophet. <laughs> like they should, I'm so thankful this isn't the Old Testament because they should be throwing rocks at me right now. And, uh, and so I'm feeling these things, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, what is happening? And, you know, and so I'm having this, you know, this, this thing with the Lord, just me and him. I'm, I'm keeping it cool. i got my poker face on. But between me and the Lord, got to have some words, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, um, uh, God, I felt like you gave me these things. I'm trying to be faithful, but it really seems like I'm more invested in this moment than you are. It seems like I care a lot more about this than you do right now. So you can, can you help me understand? Can you throw me a bone? Right? Help a brother out. This is hurting. And, and so I was having these, these thoughts, and it was feeling, I was feeling a little anxious because I had these expectations of what this moment was supposed to be like following Jesus. We, we follow and we take risks, and we, we have these expectations along the way of what it's going to be like. And, and then from time to time, we're left with these big question marks. And, and, and I wonder, and I'll finish the story in a bit, but I wonder for you if, you if you know what that's like, if you've ever walked through something where you felt like you were more invested in an outcome than God was. Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt like you were working harder than God in a particular situation? Like you were exerting more energy than he seemed to have? Have you ever questioned whether God was actually invested in the details of your life? And maybe they could look a few different ways. Maybe you've been praying for your marriage to get better because you know God cares about your marriage, but you're not seeing a lot of progress. 
And you think, God, do you really care about this as much as I do? Maybe, maybe you're faced with some, some pretty major career changes, some vocation changes, a change of job. But it might require you to move and do something drastic. It's going to put your family in a hard position. You'll have to be uprooted from your community. It might be disrupting. But the answers aren't very clear. And you're thinking, God, are you even interested in this part of my life? Do you care as much about this as I do? And may, or maybe you're, you're fighting disease in your body. And you've stood in faith. You've declared God's promises. You've received prayer. And still no progress, you know? And you hear stories along the way of other people having those breakthroughs. <laughs> but you're still left with that question. Ah, God, do you, are you here? Are you there? Do you care about this, right? Anybody in the room, have you ever asked that question? Thank you. I want to read a few passages of Scripture this morning. And uh, let's, let's just receive these words. Three passages. This is Matthew 6, 7 through 8. Jesus is, this is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And before this passage, he says, don't do it like the Gentiles. They're just... They're heaping up words, hoping to find these magic formulas and that their zeal would be like that secret weapon that changes the heart of God. But he says this in verse 7, When when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Psalm 55, 22. This is from the Passion Translation. So here's what I've learned through it all. Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord, and measureless grace will strengthen you. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 through 7. This is a Passion Translation as well. If you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him, And leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. And we stumble into a lot of other passages talking about the the intentionality of God, that he longs to gather us under his wing like a hen protects her chicks, as it says in Matthew 23, 37, that he's working to ease our burdens and give us recreation and rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, that his spirit, he has given us his spirit as an advocate and a counselor, John 14, that he sits at the right hand of the Father as an intercessor on our behalf, it says, and all these things, that it's his good pleasure to get us the kingdom. It's really clear in the pages of Scripture that when it comes to all of this, when it comes to our life, when, this, when it comes to the things that we care about, we can trust that God cares more than we do. God cares more about it than we do. God is more invested in the things in our life than we are. He's more concerned with our lives than we are. He's more involved in our lives than we are. He's more animated and at work. He was at work long before we took a breath, and he'll be at work long after we take a step into eternity. Praise God. And so we can see, we, and we know this, that 
that God, God cares. God cares about these concerns. He cares about the confusion. He cares about the question marks in our lives. So the question for us then becomes, if that's true, how is it that we actually respond to his caring? What does it actually mean for us as we're navigating these things? If it's true that we can't outcare God, that he actually cares about our marriages and our kids and our parents and the things of our life more than we do, then then. How is it that we can orient ourselves to, to respond to that? And so why is, it, why is it good news to talk about this? Why is it good news to, to even bring an axiom that declares that God cares more about all of this than we do? I think a huge reason is just like Piper was talking about during worship. We live in an age of anxiety, and it's only increasing. Statistics show that Americans are 39% more anxious than the year before, about 18.1% of the, the total population. So even in this room, about one out of five has like a, you know, has str- like really struggles with either depression or anxiety. And then that, but others of us still feel the pangs of that, that we live in, in an age where um, anxiety is, is increasing. And this year, Americans reported feeling more anxious across Five key areas, and those areas were health, safety, finances, politics, and relationships. And I would add to the anxiety, even spirituality and discipleship sometimes. And what, there's, a, there's a lot of things that contribute to anxiety. I'm not, I'm not going to offer blanket statements because there's a lot of different things that contribute to these things. But I, I do think, I do believe that, that one of, the, one of the, the huge contributors to an anxious and increasingly anxious generations is the expectations are so much higher than they've ever been. The expectations we put on ourselves, the expectations others place on us, these ideals that we're, we're supposed to live up to. We talked about this a few weeks ago, these should statements, by the age of 30, I should have done this. By the age of 40, I should be like this. By the age of 50, I should have figured this part of life out. By 60, definitely Right, And we, we have these timetables with which we measure our lives and we create these expectations and then de- determining how well we feel like we're doing according to those things, it, it starts to work at us. And, and most of these thoughts are very unconscious. But over, over the course of time, our heads are filled with ideas and information and news and all of these things. And even as we're following Jesus, we we read about what that should look like and we hear stories from, from a sermon or a stage of what that should feel like or what that might be like or, you know, the keys that should give me the breakthrough that I need, right? And some of those things actually work to even increase the anxiety on, without, without us realizing. A shame, a shame researcher, and she's a Christian as well, Brene Brown, she's written some fantastic books but she says the implicit message most women carry is the demand to do it all, do it flawlessly, make it look effortless, and look fabulous doing so. <laughs> right, women? You got to do it all. You got to do it flawlessly. Make it look effortless and look fabulous doing so. Thank you, Pinterest. Right? And... And there's these cultural narratives that end up paralyzing us from the inside out, right? And they come with these inherent expectations. This is what this moment should be like. This is what this stage of life should be like. But what's wild is one of the passages we just read in 1 Peter 
5 through 7. I'm going to read through five, uh, five cha- uh, chapter 5, verse 6, 6 and 7. I'm going to read it from the ESV. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. What's wild is that this, this word anxiety in Greek is, is this word marimma, marimna. And the actual guts of this word mean to divide, separated from the whole, dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. You guys ever felt like that before? Under, you know, we use these words like anxiety, and it's kind of this conceptual thing for a feeling, but in this particular passage, he's addressing a people that feel almost like their being is fractured into parts, pulled in different directions. Almost feel like there's not a sense of wholeness, there's not a sense of togetherness, a cohesiveness. And so he, he would speak, and he's, in this particular case, he's, he's addressing the elders and the church leaders in this, in this letter. He's saying, when you're feeling anxiety, when you're feeling these things, cast, cast your anxieties, cast your cares, cast your anxieties upon the Lord, because He cares for you. He's the one who cares for you. And that word cast is, it's, it's much more than a fishing rod gently going out into a still pond. That word cast is actually a very aggressive, violent word. Just heap, take these things that you feel like are fracturing you, these, these thoughts or you don't know where to land, where, you, where to even fit, what to do with what God's doing, what to do with what you're doing, and these, these things that debilitate us and take these things and heap them and surrender them to the Lord, trusting that He cares more about you and your situation than you do it's a it makes sense that he would talk to church leaders about that because church leaders can get anxious sometimes i don't know if you know that so i take a lot of comfort in that when you don't always know what to do you don't know what to fight for what to surrender so there's all these things like even as he's talking to church leaders by the way i just wanted to clear you're all church leaders god is raising you up to lead to be a leader to, to be a person of influence in the places he's called you. So this is to all of us that he says, cast your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. And if it's true that God cares more than I do, what does that mean for me? So, so oftentimes what happens is when we're in a confusing situation, we're trying to hold on to a promise, we're trying to follow Jesus somewhere, be it in a, in a relational thing or in a church thing or in a job thing or whatever it is, when we're holding on to what God's doing, and it's not really clear what he's doing in the situation. I'm really clear what I'm doing in this situation, but God, I need you to show up too. Um, there's a couple different things that we can do. When we're not sure what God is up to, sometimes we, we can take the situation to our own hands and we can control the situation. We begin to manipulate things to try to accomplish God's promises for him. How many of you know that's a bad idea? That's a really bad idea. So it's really easy for us to, when we're not sure what God's doing, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to fix this because I'm a good American. I've been taught that just a little ingenuity and drive and, you know, holding on to the dream is going to get me really far. <laughs> so I'm going to blend that with my Christianity and I'm going to, I'm going to get God's promises done because he needs some help. That also gets you an Ishmael. I mean, that when, you tr- when you try to accomplish as God's promises for him, it, it, things, things can turn. 
God doesn't need you to accomplish his promises for him, right? But, so, but what does that mean? Because the opposite is what we do too. When we realize that I can't control this situation, I can't white-knuckle this situation into the right circumstance, the opposite is also true. We just give up. You ever given up? You've given up in relationships. You've given up in your marriage. You've given up. You know, even it's like, all right, God, apparently you're in control. I'm just going to throw my hands up and you can just drag me wherever you want to go. I got no ideas on what to do here. It wasn't that funny, was it? Still going. All right. And so... So, so we can either control or we do the opposite sometimes. We don't know where God has invested a situation. We can give up. And, and, we, and we, we spiritualize it saying, oh, God's in control, so I'm just, you know, I'm done, right? So it gets really passive. Where we, we can actually check out of what God is doing. Instead of holding on to a promise, we can actually check out from that promise. Check out from his purposes. And I believe that rather than controlling something, rather than giving up on what God is doing, that part of the life of following him is learning how to live with consent. It's about staying engaged, but staying surrendered. Staying engaged in the unforced rhythms of grace. Now that sounds still very abstract, but I think maybe the best image we can look at as far as something that we, we've all experienced before is you've ever seen uh, talented dancers. I say talented because, like, don't look at me. Like, I'm not a talented dancer. But if you've ever seen dancers that, like, really know how to dance, like, so when I go on a dance floor, I got a few moves, and it's not very pretty. It's a crippled chicken or something like that. I don't know. But I have a good time. I like, I like throwing down on a dance floor. I'm not going to lie, all right? I preach and I dance on the dance floor. Um... But we have fun, right? It's a good time. I love dancing. But when you, like, when you know somebody that's actually good at dancing, it's next level, isn't it? You have friends, like maybe you're good. You, you, might, you and your significant other might like, you might be really good at this. My friends Nate and Val back here, they can, they can, uh, they can light up a dance floor. They can cut a rug. And uh, what I love about watching good dancers there's a lot of flow to it when it comes to good dancing. After they step into it, there comes a point in time where you're not sure who's leading, where you're not sure who's initiating what. And it becomes this flow of consent, of surrender, but engagement all at the same time. And you can, can you kind of see what happens if one of the dancers starts controlling the moves? I'm going to just drag you across the dance floor. It's just like this rag doll. Right? I'm going to get this done. You're going to make me look good, you know. <laughs> Whipping them around. <laughs> they have to get like chiropractic adjustment. Like, there's like whiplash going on. And so that's not even, that's just painful to watch, you know. But they also, the opposite is also true. Like, listen, I can't do this. You're just going to have to take me around. You know, I'm just going to give up. And so just to be dragged around the dance, I mean, that's, that's, that's no better. But there's this, what good dancers know is to keep their hands open and they engage, but that they feel that there's a flow. There's a caring nature to it. There is a leadership to it. 
right? But it's, it's much more about surrendering to what's happening within the flow of each other. And I think that there's few better pictures to describe life following Jesus than consenting to him in a dance, right? It's not a managing or controlling. It's also not a giving up. It's a, we're going to stay engaged in this together, trusting that you are as invested in this moment as I am, if not more so. Are you guys hearing me today? And so it's a heart posture that we come, the way that we show up to the care of God is by keeping our hands open, not disengaging, but saying, God, I'm going to hold these things before you, trusting that you're at work here on my behalf, even if I cannot see this. And I'm just going to stay in this dance. I'm not going to check out from the dance. I'm also not going to control this dance. I'm just going to stay in this dance. So, back to Brazil. So I give these two words of knowledge and biff them both, at least on the surface. And afterwards, my translator says, you know, after that, we, 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 we crash land the service, we pray, you know, we cover the whole thing. And then the translator's like, hey, hey, can I see you in the other room? And it's like, oh, oh man, this is it. This is like, he's going to take me in there and he's going to flog me, right? <laughs> There's going to be a, a rebuke and admonishment, like, this is it. And uh, so he takes me privately to this other room and he says to me, he says that word that you gave about shame, he said, um, he said, that was me. He said, I couldn't respond because I was translating and I didn't know what to do. He said, but you need to know this. He said, I've, I've made some decisions in my life and that have put diseases in my body and I'm really ashamed of it and I can't talk about these things because my family will, they will um, disown me and I've been before God and I just feel like he hates me. And this moment opened up where publicly I was like, man, this all just fell apart. But I went to this room and this, this man opens up and he just starts weeping. His name is Raymond. He just starts weeping before the Lord, before me. And, and we start praying together, just ministering the love of God in the situation. In a situation that looked like it had gone bad. It actually worked out perfectly according to the purposes of God. Now, the other word I biffed, sincerely. But, but still, in that moment, I had a couple options. I could have tried to control it and manipulate the situation, try to smooth things over and made it look good, right? Or I could have just thrown my hands up and said, you know what, guys, I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm doing, it turns out. But there's a thing of, all right, God, I'm going to respond to you. And I don't know, no one's responding, but I have to trust that you gave me these things, to respond to you, and I'm going to follow you and then surrender the response to you, right? And it looks a lot of different ways, but the part of what we do to cooperate and participate in the life of the kingdom is to pay attention to places he's calling us, but, but, but also express these things, these places of anxiety, these places of confusion, and to learn to name them and surrender them over to the heartbeat of God, to let him shape those desires and hand them back to us. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to end with a, an exercise that you guys can do at home as well. If, if you ever feel overwhelmed, and I had to do this this last week because I, there's the moments where I was, I was feeling overwhelmed by certain decisions. I'm like, I need to get before the Lord and surrender. I need to cast my cares before the Lord. 
And, and, and until I, I know in my being that he cares more about this than I do, I know that in my head, but I need to know that in my heart, right? So there's this exercise, it's called palms down, palms up. Richard Foster was the one who um, came up with this exercise, and, and uh, it's a way of naming your desires, surrendering to God, and then letting him uh, give them back to you. And so, so, so part of this exercise is going to be across the room. You came into this place thinking about things, things you're doing after church, things that uh, you're getting ready for this week, or maybe just concerns in life. And you came in just thinking about a few things. Maybe as I want to finish that bathroom tiling project, or I, I really want my stepmother to apologize, or I want to go on a beach vacation right now, or I really want to get in shape. I want my kids even positive. I want my kids to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I want my boss to treat me better. I mean, just positive, negative, whatever it is. So what we're going to do is take a moment with whatever, whatever you're sensing, whatever, the, whatever you're immediately aware of, we're going to just name those things out loud and, it, and invite ourselves to experience the, the, um, the presence and the smile of God. And then we'll turn our palms up and, and trust that he's going to re, reform those cares and give it back to us with a new perspective and a new posture, okay? Are you guys down for this? Okay, so across the room, as you're sitting in your seat, in a comfortable, sit in a comfortable position where you can be both relaxed and alert. Okay, and close your eyes. Take a moment, just take a couple deep breaths. And intentionally place yourself in the presence of Jesus. And as Anthony DeMello says, behold God beholding you and smiling. So think of God beholding you with a smile on his face. Because he does have a smile. On your lap, turn your palms down on your, on your knees. And, and just quietly begin naming desires you were aware of, cares, worries, agendas, expectations. And don't make judgments. Don't apologize. Don't make promises that you're never going to think that again. Just name what you're aware of and just let go of them as your palms are, are open and down. Continue to breathe deep and surrender those things at your name. Just imagine surrendered, cast, cast them upon the Lord as you let go. Just continue to imagine the smile of the Father. 
is with you. Now turn your palms up as if to receive a gift. As you think upon the delight of the Father, His pleasure, allow God to return your desires to you rightly ordered and receive the easy yoke in whatever way God wants to give it. And as you receive back these desires, He might bring, give them back to you with new perspective, but certainly with a sense that He's in this with you. Just receive those desires back. take a moment to listen. What else does the Father want to say to you? Rather than controlling or giving up, what does it look like to consent and to be in the flow of His love in the midst of whatever you're carrying? find your mind wandering or maybe drifting back to some legitimate concerns, turn your palms down again. Just imagine those falling out of your hands as you name them and then turn them back up to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus. of our lives than we do. And you're with us. Across this room today, God, we thank you to make us whole in heart, God, that anxiety, if any anxiety was brought to the room, that it would be healed and made whole in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for shalom, God, just the harmony of heaven to come and repair anything that's fractured within us. If we have missed expectations, Lord, a 
of what we thought it would be like following you, what we thought life would look like by this point in time. We thank you to rearrange our thinking so we can trust you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're present and at work. And we give you our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, God. We give you everything. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, take a deep breath. Resurface. Come up for air. <laughs> or not. You can stay. You can, you can stay there. How did that feel? Is that good? That's something you can do at home. You're feeling the overwhelm, the anxiety, palms up, palms down, palms up. It's the way that we participate and practice life in the kingdom, right? Reminding ourselves of who we are, who God is. So, hey guys, um, this morning, uh, before we get out of here, a couple things. First of all, two weeks from today is, two weeks from today is Easter. Okay. Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Thank you. Um, and uh, it's going to be an awesome day. We are going to be doing baptisms on that day, offering baptisms. So if you or anybody in your family, or maybe you even have some kids that you feel like are ready to take a step of just affirming their faith, um, you can send them to vinelife.com. Um, we should have some info and sign up there soon. Or uh, if you don't see anything there, you can email frontdesk at vinelife.com uh, to sign up. Uh, second thing is this. We are going to be doing some fun stuff for the kiddos. We'd love for you to bring in some bags of candy um, so they can celebrate Jesus. Um, and so, so if you could bring in some candy, uh, specifically by next week, if you have it here, you can even take it down to the Vine Life Kids desk downstairs. And uh, we're going to try to collect some, uh, some candy, some gifts for the kiddos uh, that come. There's a lot of kids that come in from the outside that don't normally go to church. So this is a, a chance for us to be there and to have just a, a great treat for them um, as they're coming in with their families. Let's stand together. And, uh,